Good morning. If you will turn with me to uh, Psalm 56, that will be our scripture reading for this morning. And uh, as you turn there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for our time together. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we uh, thank you so much for your word and uh, for, for the truth that is contained within it. We thank you that you speak to us through the scriptures by your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would teach us now, that you would open our hearts and minds to, to understand what you've said and to be, to be changed by it, to, to better live in light of it in the power of your spirit. Uh, show us Jesus in the scriptures as always. Uh, that we would believe more fully on him, uh, believe in what he has done for us in the cross. We thank you for this and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 56. To the choir master, according to the dove on far-off terebinths, a victim of David when the Philistines seized him in Gath. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long. For many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime, will they escape? In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. When was the last time you were afraid? We're all afraid sometimes, right? And there are so many things to be afraid of. We have fear of, of, of not fitting in or, or making a fool out of ourselves. Fear of not getting into the right school. Uh, fear of not getting a good job or fear of losing our job. Fear of not finding the right spouse or fear of losing loved ones. Fear of our children not turning out the way we hope. Uh, fear of natural disasters, terrorist attacks. Fear of sickness and disease. Fear of growing old. Fear of being alone. Of course, ultimately, we have the fear of death. And there are so many other things, aren't there? So many things that I haven't mentioned, so many things that, that maybe you're afraid of. Well, this psalm this morning talks about two realities. It talks about the reality of fear and the reality of trust. What we're going to see as we look at the psalm is, is we do have good reasons to be afraid. But because God is for us, we can trust him with honesty and with patience. So that's what we're going to look at. We're going to start out by looking at the fact that we have good reason to be afraid. You know, there are so many things in this world uh, which threaten us, which threaten our well-being, our, our safety, our, our families, our jobs, and so on. Those things, those trials are real. 
Those trials are, are often ongoing, and they, they are personal. In fact, we have, we have good reason to be afraid. So those, those trials are real. First uh, Samuel 21 was read for you earlier, and that's the setting of this psalm. David was on the run. Uh, he was on the run from Saul, the king of, Ga- uh, the king of Israel, uh, because Saul was trying to kill him. And so he runs from Saul to Gath. Now, Gath is the hometown of Goliath. You may remember Goliath, right? David killed him early on in his life. So David is so afraid, he's so desperate, that he runs right from one enemy right into the hands of another. And look at David's complaint. Uh, Verse 1, he says, Man tramples on me. An attacker oppresses me. Verse 2, he says, Enemies trample me. Many attack me proudly. Verse 5, they injure my cause. Their thoughts are against him for evil. Verse 6, they stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps. They wait for my life. You see what David is saying. He's saying that there are these people who are trying to hurt me. They go against everything I do, and they stir up trouble all around me. You know, David's trials were, were very real everywhere he went. And your trials are real as well. You know, there's no need to deny the, the difficulties of life. We shouldn't brush them off or try to explain them away. Jesus said, in the world, you will have trouble. And now your trials, of course, look very different from David's, don't they? I mean, you may have trials at work, uh, troubles with your coworkers or with your boss. You may have trials at home, uh, difficulties in your marriage or troubles raising your children. You may have trials at school, right? Temptations to, to follow the crowd or even temptations to cheat. You may have trials with your health, right? Sickness and, and debilitating illnesses. Maybe, maybe a loved one who is on his deathbed. See, like David, our trials are very real. We go through troubles. We experience them often. And of course, that's the, the second thing about our trials. They're ongoing. I mean, look at, look at David. Verse 1, he says, All day long an attacker oppresses me. Verse 2, all day long an enemy tramples on me. Verse 5, all day long they injure David's cause. All their thoughts are against him for evil. You see, David's enemies are persistent. All day long, all their thoughts, they're constantly coming at him. He is under a constant pressure that never lets up. Again, that, that, that really is the way it is in life, isn't it? Uh, there are difficulties that just never seem to end. I mean, there, there's an ebb and flow, right? There are times that are easier and times that are harder, but, but they never really end. They never go totally away. One stops, another begins. David runs right from one enemy, King Saul, right into the hands of another enemy, the Philistines. And it's as if this whole life is characterized by trouble, which it is. And do you feel that, that constant pressure of life? Does it ever seem like it will never let up? You know, our difficulties are real, just like David's, and they're unending. But they're also personal. You know, David did not just face impersonal difficulties. Uh, It wasn't just sickness or or sort of the generic troubles of life. Enemies sought to destroy, oppress, and trample. There were people out to get him. And, And really, actually, we too have personal enemies. We have personal enemies within and without, right? I mean, all of our trials started when a personal enemy tempted our first parents. The Bible says the devil is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's a personal enemy. And of course, he has an ally, right, in our own flesh. Our own sinful nature within us, together, they they seek to destroy us. We too quickly, we point the finger at people around us, but our battle, the Bible says, is not with flesh and blood, 
but with spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And if I can turn the phrase with the spiritual forces of wickedness in our own hearts, right? Our own sinful nature. So we have enemies without, enemies within. Our difficulties are real. They're, they're unending. They're personal. And those three, you, you put them together, and, and we have really good reason to be afraid. And that's David's response to all of this is fear. 1 Samuel 21, 12 actually says David is very afraid or much afraid. Verse 3, after recounting all of his troubles, David says, when I am afraid. David was afraid. Verse 8 mentions David's tossings, right? All night long, David, he can't stop thinking about this. He can't sleep because his troubles are so real and so present. He's tossing back and forth. David is afraid. When was the last time you were afraid? Again, there's, there's much to be afraid of. There, there, there's fears in this whole pastoral search process, right? I mean, as you've been going through this, as I've been going through this from the other perspective, there are lots of fears for both of us. Uh, there, there's fears for you. You know, will you get a pastor who will teach truthfully and lead faithfully, who will fit all of your expectations? Uh, there's fears for me. Will I find a, a good church? Will I find a, a church that's a good fit? Um, will, will my wife feel comfortable wherever I go? Will, will my kids find, find good friends and good mentors wherever we go? Uh, will I live up to people's expectations? Will I have what it takes to do whatever it is I'm being called to do? What are you afraid of? What do you fear? What do you, what do you fear for your future or for your kids or, or for your job or for your church or for your friends, for your community? What, what do you fear? Trials for God's people are, are real and ongoing and, and personal. We have good reasons to be afraid. What's the hinge between fear and trust? What, what allows us to turn that corner? Right? What's the hinge between fear and trust? We see it in this psalm. Uh, what we see is that because God is for us, we can trust him. Because God is for us, we can trust him. That's the hinge between fear and trust is knowing that God is for you. You know, there, there's really this refrain throughout Scripture Maybe you'll recognize it where, where God says over and over again, do not fear for I am with you. And when he says that, he doesn't just mean spatially I'm with you, right? That's not what he's talking about. He's saying I am for you. I'm for your good. I've got your back. Do not fear. I am with you. You know, only when we know that God is for us can we actually trust him. I mean, think about it. There are lots of attributes of God, right? God is sovereign. He's in control. But the fact that God is in control actually doesn't give us reason to trust him in and of itself. In and of itself. Uh, the fact that God is wise doesn't give us reason to trust him. God's, God could be a wise and powerful monster. He's not, but he could be, right? Uh, even God's goodness in and of itself doesn't give us reason to trust him. Because God's goodness could mean my judgment, right? God could be good and out to get me because I'm not good. And so there has to be something more. In the midst of trials, in the midst of the difficulties of life, why can I trust him? See, only if I know that this good, sovereign, and wise God is for me can I trust him. And that was true with David. David could trust God for one simple reason. He knew that God was for him. Look at verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9 say, you have, you have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. 
Think about the terms of intimacy, the imagery that we're given in those two verses. God kept count of David's tossings, right? God, God not only knew what was going on in David's life, he, he paid attention, right? He paid attention to David's agony and his fear. Uh, more than that, he put his tears in a bottle. I mean, think, think about the, the special care that's implied by, by the imagery of God collecting David's tears, Right? God, God cares about David's trials. He cares about his sadness. He cares about his fear so much, he collects his tears, as it were. None of them are in vain, right? Not one of David's tears is, is meaningless to God. He, he cares for each one. More than that, uh, we're told he put them in his book, right? So if one metaphor wasn't enough to express God's extreme care and intimacy and involvement with David in his troubles, we have this, this other metaphor, right? Not only does God keep his tears in a, in a bottle, but he has recorded all of David's sadnesses, all of his fears, all of his trials in a book, right? It's, it's as if God keeps a journal of David's tears. He's written them all down. See, now think about it. If God cared for you that much, if God cared for you that much, couldn't you trust him? to watch over, in the, over you in the midst of whatever was going on in your life. If God cared for you that much, couldn't you trust him to keep you safe no matter what was happening? So how do you know whether God is for you? Right? I mean, how do, how do you know? How did David know? Well, David knew because he had God's word, right? Verse 4 says, uh, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust. Verse 10 says, in God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, right? David had God's word. He had God's promises. He looked to God's word, and he knew that God was for him, and so he trusted him. So how do we know? that God is for us, right? Well, of course, it's the same way. We have God's word. And think about these verses. Think about Romans 8. Romans 8, verses 31 and 32. Say, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Or 1 John says, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That is the sacrifice for our sins. See, how do we know that God is for us? Well, he gave his son for us, his only son, whom he loves, to die for our sins that we might have life. That's how we know God is for us. He has acted for us sacrificially for our good in the cross. See, because God is for us in Jesus, in the cross, we can trust him. More than that, because God is for us, we can be honest with him. You know, as we've seen, David doesn't hide his troubles or pretend not to be afraid. He's, he's honest about his fear. And uh, he even goes back and forth. Do you notice that? He sort of goes back and forth between, between his fear and his trust. So there's this A-B-A-B pattern in, in the psalm, right, where he goes, you know, from one thing to the next and then back and then and back again. Verses 1 and 2, he's thinking about his difficulty, right? He says, man tramples on me. Then verses 3 and 4, he expresses his trust. In God, uh, in God I trust. And then verses 5 and 6, he goes back to his difficulty, he says, they stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps. And then in verses 7 through 11, he goes back to his trust again. See, he's going back and forth. That's the way it is, isn't it? When you're in the midst of some kind of difficulty or trouble, you sort of waffle back and forth between thinking about how horrible this thing is and then turning to God and expressing trust. 
Right? It's back and forth. Back and forth. We wrestle with the reality of everything that's going on around us. We're thinking about it. We get afraid. We start to fear. And then we turn our minds to God again. And we say, God, I know you're in this. Right? You're in control. I don't have to be afraid. Help me to trust you, Father. Right? Back and forth. Now, it's true, of course, we're not to, to grumble against God. That's different from ex- being honest about your fear. Uh, but we too often use that, that command not to grumble. We use that as an excuse or a mandate to never talk about our troubles. We think anytime we talk about our troubles, therefore, we're grumbling or complaining. But David talks, right? I mean, he talks about it. He talks to God. He talks to all of us. In fact, he wrote this psalm down and recorded it for all of history to know about his troubles, Right? We know that he was going through difficulties, and we need to express our fears. We need to be honest about our trials to God. You know, sometimes people think that as Christians, we shouldn't experience difficulty, right? or we shouldn't be afraid, that life should be perfect. That, that only leads us to hiding our trials right? or stuffing our, our fear. We, we put a smile on our face. We pretend that everything's great when it's really not. But the example of David is of one who expressed his fear and was honest about his trials. See, because God is for us, we can trust him. And because God is for us, we can be honest to him about the difficulties in life. And because God is for us, we can wait on him. We can be patient in the midst of those trials. You know, one pastor in a sermon on Psalm 56, he said his strategy and most of our strategies for dealing with trials goes something like this. We, we want, step one, we ignore them as long as possible. We just pretend they don't exist. When we can't do that any longer, uh, we, we talk to somebody about it. We try to get help. And then when that doesn't work, if all else fails, we go to God. Right? And, and, you know, we trust ourselves first. That's why we ignore trials. We think we can do it on our own. We figure, I, I can do this. I can handle this. Then if that doesn't work, we turn to people. We look for this worldly solutions. How can I solve this? Who, I, who do I need to help me to solve this? We look around us, and then God is just a last resort. But that's not the case with David, right? David runs to his father. Verse 1, be gracious to me, O God. Right? Verse 7, in wrath cast down the peoples, O God. You see, he's crying out to his father for help in the midst of his difficulty. David looks to God for God to care for him in the midst of that difficulty. That's why he cries out. That's what it means when he says, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. See, he's looking to God for deliverance, not to man. But it's even a specific kind of deliverance that David's looking for. See, too often we look for the, the wrong kind of deliverance, actually. We, we expect deliverance to be immediate and complete in the here and now. God, just take it all away, just like that. I just want to be done with this. This is too difficult. Just here's my prayer, God, let, let this be done. And if it's not, we think that uh, God isn't listening or he's let us down or, or worse, he's just a fraud. But what does David look for? Look at verses 3 and 4 again. David says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. And God, whose word I praise, and God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? In verse 11, he repeats that at the end. He says, what can man do to me? Now, that's kind of, a, kind of an odd thing for David to say because he, just, he spent half the psalm talking about what man could do to him, right? He just spent a lot of time saying man tramples, man oppresses, he attacks and injures and distorts and stirs up strife and watches David's every step looking to take his life. How can David say, what can man do to me? David knows exactly what man can do to him. Man is doing it to him. First Saul, now, now the people in Gath. 
Well, David doesn't have rose-colored glasses on, right? He's, he's not blind to the realities of life. He's not ignoring it. But he, he knows there's trouble ahead. He, he's been through it. He's going through it right now. But, but he also knows that this is not the end, right? They will not get the final word. His enemies will not win. That's what David knows. See, verse 7, he says, For their crime, will they escape? And the implied answer, of course, is no. No, they're not going to escape. God will judge. God will cast down the enemy, right? And that doesn't mean there won't be long times of trouble first. In the world, you will have trouble, Jesus says. We should expect it. Man can do quite a bit. The world has a lot to throw at us. But nothing in the world can touch what is of ultimate importance. Nothing in the world can touch our, our souls. Nothing can touch eternity. Nothing can touch our relationship to the Father, which is secure in Jesus. Nothing can touch those things. And God will deliver in his timing. Do, do you see how knowing that God is for us, do you see how knowing God is for me, do you see how that leads to honesty and patience? Right? If God is for me, I can be honest with him without fear of rejection, right? Because if he's for me, I know that I, I can tell him, God, I'm afraid. God, I'm scared to death here. He's not going to turn his back on me when I say that. And if God is for me, I can be patient, knowing that he is going to work this out in his timing. He will do it. I can trust him. And do you see the importance of both of those things, both honesty on the one hand and patience on the other? You see, if I'm just honest, that, that might merely be grumbling, Right? That, that may be even demanding under the guise of honesty. Right? We do that sometimes. We say we're being honest. What we're really doing is we're demanding that God do something. But if I'm just patient, patient, I, I really have to deny my humanity, don't I? I have to pretend to be a robot. I have to pretend that I don't have feelings, that everything's all right. Yeah, God's, I'm not afraid. God's going to work it out. But David was afraid. He knew God was going to work it out, but he was afraid as well. See, God wants us both to, to, to preserve our humanity even while we proclaim his sufficiency in the midst of the threats of this world, right? I'm, I'm scared, and God is going to work this out. Because God is for us, we can trust him with honesty and patience, knowing he won't reject us, knowing he will deliver us in his time. Now, if we want to understand all this better, we, we just need to look to Jesus, you know, Jesus experienced the same troubles that we do. He had enemies, right? Herod sought to kill him. Satan tempted him. The religious leaders of Israel seek to argue with and trap and arrest and destroy him, right? He had enemies all around him throughout his life. He experienced trouble. He suffered and he died. He was crucified and buried. He, he was not delivered in the sense of not experiencing trouble. He, his trouble did not just go away like that. He experienced it throughout his life. He faced suffering and death as we do, really, like we never will. And he was honest. He was honest about his emotions in the midst of his trouble. Uh, think about this. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. How sorrowful is that? Even to death. And Jesus cries out to God in the midst of his trouble. He says, If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. He entrusts himself to the Father's timing. He says on the cross, into your hands I commit my spirit. See, Jesus experienced deeply the trouble of this world, much more deeply than you and I will ever experience trouble. He didn't ignore it. He didn't deny it. He didn't pretend it doesn't exist. He didn't put on a happy face. He was honest 
And he cried out to the Father, waiting on the Father to act. And he did. Right? Jesus went to the cross and he died and he was buried, but the Father didn't leave him there. God did not abandon Jesus to the grave, but he raised him from the dead. And the deliverance that we look for is just like that. Right? It is ultimate and in eternity. We, we follow the pattern of Christ as his people. First suffering, then glory. Right? Death comes before resurrection. And, and according to the scriptures, now is our time of trouble. Now is our time of difficulty. At Jesus' return is our experience of glory. Jesus says, in the world you will have trouble. But take heart, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. So you will have trouble. Don't, don't let it take you by surprise. Don't be disturbed when troubles happen. It doesn't mean God is, God is off the throne. It doesn't mean he's fallen asleep. In the world you will have trouble, Jesus says. But you don't have to fear. Not because that, that there are not real, physical, spiritual, emotional, relational dangers in this world, right? There are all kinds of dangers in this world. But you don't have to fear because Jesus has overcome this world by his death and resurrection. Which means whatever the world does to us in this life, even if it looks like crucifixion and death, as it did for Jesus, and it has for so many of his people, whatever happens to us, we will rise from the dead just like Jesus did. We have hope of an eternity in the new creation without trouble, without pain, without tears. N notice how David puts this. He actually puts this in the end of Psalm 56, right in verse 13. He says, For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. You see, and when we read those words, we, we understand in light of the cross that God will deliver our souls from death in the resurrection. That we will live with God in this new creation one day. We will rise. We will walk with the Father in the light of life. That is the light of God himself shining upon his people. That's our hope. That's, our, that's the deliverance that we look for. That's the deliverance that we long for and we know is going to come. Now, now if you get all this, I think over time there will be a shift. There will be a shift from fear to fearlessness. We see that shift in verses 3 and 4. Verse 3, David says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Verse 4, he says, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. Those are different, right? The one is when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. The other is, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid, right? There's, there's a movement there from fear to no fear. See, we all fear. When, when we fear, though, we need to put our trust in our Father. And as we trust in Him, in the midst of our fears, as we meditate on God, as we set our eyes on the cross, as we cry out to Jesus, we often find our fear disappearing. Right? Our fear dissipates. Maybe it takes moments. Maybe it takes weeks. Maybe it takes months or years. Maybe it will take a lifetime, but it will happen. Look to Jesus. Right? In the cross, we see that God is for us. So when you are afraid, put your trust in him. Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the cross. I thank you that we can know without a shadow of a doubt that if we belong to Jesus, you are for us. When we put our faith in him, we have a God who is for us. You have proven that in the cross.
And I pray that that would spur us on to trust you in the midst of our fears, in the midst of difficulties, that we would trust you, that we would, that we would be patient, waiting on you, that we would be honest, telling you all, of all of our trials, all of our fears, all of our worries, that we would lay them at your feet and know that you will, in your time, care for us. We thank you for that. Work faith in us, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.